many people are saying, you know what, my kids are getting this money, pay taxes, what, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Or, you know, if others are saying, well, no, I'd like to try to give them the most as I humanly can. One idea may be to have a life insurance policy because life insurance benefits are tax-free, generally speaking to the beneficiary. Another way would be Roth. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. To start with, can you tell us about your background and your experience as a virtual financial advisor? Absolutely. Yeah, I have been a virtual advisor really since COVID. Um, I became a financial advisor before that, been in the financial services industry my whole career. But COVID really forced us to not see each other, right? And talk on Zoom like like we're doing right now. And after many, mo- many months, my clients and I realized, hey, this isn't half bad. I don't have to fight traffic, get dressed even. I can stay in my pajamas, be in the comfort of my home in order to talk about my finances, which most people don't necessarily really enjoy talking about anyway. So let's make this as comfortable as possible. So my client really helped me realize being a virtual financial advisor is a huge benefit and many people enjoy it. Makes sense. What are some of the common financial challenges that are faced by the people that you help with? Yeah. So I like to say that my clients are bookends. So I work, I'll do a lot of my work with millennials, young families. They're a few, you know, quite a few years into their career, but now they're making money. Um, Mm -hmm. Student loans may be paid off or close to paying off and we're full on adulting. And what do I do? (laughs) You know, I did what I was supposed to do. I went to college. I got my, I started my career on making good money, but I was never taught what to do with this money or how to do the right things. So that's about half of my clientele. The Mm -hmm. other half of my clientele are those that are approaching retirement. So kind of the same mentality. I did what I was supposed to do. I saved for retirement. How do I actually make that jump into retirement. So I help make the, help them with that transition. Gotcha. So on your website, I think I saw some areas that you focus on. For example, if people inherit property or they have some sort of insurance claim, you kind of help them navigate through that. So can you give us an example of how someone maybe experienced some unexpected financial situation and how you were able to help them? Absolutely. So In any type of inheritance, whether a parent passes away and leaves you money or you have a settlement or you receive a big bonus with your job that you may not have been expecting or you just had a couple of really, really good years at work and you had a a large windfall come to you, there are a lot of things to plan for. Um, Some we may somewhat be aware of, but others we may not be. Um, Taxes is a big one, but then coming to a close second are the emotions attached with it. So one mistake I will see people make, and I can think of a a person that came to me, they became a client after inheriting this money. So they already had made this Mm -hmm. mistake, if you will. Um, They inherited uh, money from their parents who both passed away. And it was retirement money. 
And most of the time when we're looking at it, we just see dollars and cents and okay, I'm getting this amount of money and I have to do something with it. They cashed out the entire retirement account and um, paid off a good chunk of their house. Mm. That may not sound like a mistake to many people as they're listening to it, but the big thing is that it was retirement money. So they had to pay taxes on 100% of that money that they received. So they paid taxes on all of it. They weren't aware that they had to pay taxes until it was time to file taxes for the, for the previous year. And then said, holy mackerel, I have all this money in my house now. I still am not, my mortgage is still not paid off. I still owe less, mm -hmm. but now I have this big tax bill. What mm -hmm. do I do? Mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. when they found me. Yep. Oh boy. So how did you help them in that situation? It was really just making shifts in order to pay this tax bill without completely derailing future plans. Mm -hmm. So making some lifestyle shifts, understanding um, now they understood where where they essentially went wrong and okay. taking advantage of the fact that their house is close to being paid off. So how can changes be made that way um, in order to pay, pay for this big windfall that they received? So that windfall is their parents' retirement money, essentially, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what would have been the right way to do it? Had they approached you earlier, right after they inherited this? What would you advise them? Yeah, if we can turn back time, it would be to find someone that can help you mm -hmm. while you're in the process of receiving this money, or if you receive it before you make any big changes, big life decisions, find a professional, right? We mm -hmm. can Google, and Google only tells us so much, but if, or if we don't Google things in a certain way, we could get so much, we can be bombarded with so much information, which could do more harm than good. So yeah. my advice would have been one, let's understand this is retirement money. So you're going to, every withdrawal you make from it, you're going to pay taxes on a hundred percent of it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, right now, um, with the secure act 2.0 that just came out last Christmas, um, you, we do have to have this account, um, exhausted, within 10 years. So it does have to go down to zero within 10 years. We don't have the rest of our lives to exhaust it the way we used to. So you, you will have a tax burden each year, but one tenth is a whole lot more palatable than a hundred percent. So just coming up with a plan to understand we do have to drain this account down, but making sure we have the taxes to pay for it. I'm not sure if this is a question you can readily answer because it might be a very specialized area. I've been hearing about people putting certain assets in the trust that seems to help people with inheritance. Do you know much about it? Can you maybe talk high level if you do what that means? And should people try to go that route to put things in trust so that when you pass it down to your next generation, it will help alleviate some of the tax burden? It could help as far as um, making cleaning up the estate when 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 both parties were are to be deceased or putting the assets in the trust can help that way. The estate could handle some of the tax burden as well. Um, retirement account assets though aren't aren't necessarily for trust because it's a retirement asset. I so see. houses, after-tax dollars, that all can make a lot of sense to be in a trust. And I'm not an estate planning attorney. I have to give that disclosure. <laughs> so I, there's a certain point to where I could give advice. But retirement assets, it kind of, it is what it is um, when, okay. when you're inheriting money. 
Gotcha. If I inherit the retirement money from my parents and I'm already 59 and a half or whatever the cutoff is, would that help with getting some of the distribution at a lower tax rate or something like that? That's a good question. No, it doesn't because yeah. you're um so so what you're you're referring to is if you were to withdraw from a retirement account prior to 59 and a half, not only do you pay taxes, you pay penalties as well. You pay a 10% penalty. But when you're the beneficiary, the law is telling us you have to withdraw this account within the 10-year period. So, um you're 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 just paying the taxes on it not the penalty. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm wondering what the person who has the retirement money should have done before they even pass it down to their descendants. So some ideas, that's a great, that's a great question, right? So some ideas could be, I mean, many people are saying, you know what, my kids are getting this money, pay taxes, what, you know, whatever it is, what mm -hmm. it is, just be grateful you're inheriting something from me, right? right? Or, you know, if others are saying, well, no, I'd like to try to Get, give them the most as I humanly can. One idea may be to have a life insurance policy mm. to, because life insurance um, benefits are tax free, generally speaking, to the beneficiary. So you could have a life insurance policy to kind of can cancel out some of the potential taxes they would be paying. Mm. Um, so that's one way. Another way would be um, Roth, Roth assets. So paying, converting those pre-tax retirement dollars to a Roth, you, mm -hmm. you as the retirement account owner would pay taxes on it. You'd pay the taxes, but then that would pass to your beneficiaries tax-free. Ah, gotcha. No, I think all I'm hearing is you really need to do this kind of planning very carefully and given enough time to let it work through, right? A lot of people don't think about this. No, I mean, most beneficiaries, when they receive money, they burn through it within the first year. Yeah. So it can be a very emotional experience. One, obviously, when we're talking about inheritance, you you, you lost a, a parent that's emotional. You're re then receiving this money, which can be emotional because it's like, you know, some, some of my clients, when after they receive money, they're like, this feels weird. You know, this feels weird that I have my parents' money now. I need to do something with it to honor them. Mm -hmm. And then um, or other clients may, other individuals may say, you know what, I'm going to get out of debt or fix my house or go on vacation, do all these things that I've been wanting to do and haven't been able to. And now that I have this windfall. So it is, um, it is definitely an emotional time when you receive this money, obviously because of the loss of a loved one, but then you're, you're having this windfall, which can create some emotions as well. So definitely speaking with someone that can remove the emotions, mm -hmm. such as an advisor is definitely a good place to start to help you also not make some mistakes that you could regret later on. Do you have any advice on how to find the right advisor? To find a financial advisor. And now, you know, with advisors working virtually, it, you're not restricted to right where you live, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, because you can meet on Zoom and all of that. So, I would say one, talk with the other professionals in your life an accountant, if you do have an estate planning attorney, anyone like that. And then um, see if they can refer you to anyone in their network. Um, talk with your friends who are maybe in similar fight with you 
feel are in similar financial situations as you or maybe have a similar personality to you and say, hey, do you have an advisor? Who do you work with? And ask for a referral that way. Mm-hmm. And then um, I would say a third way is to just start researching it. Start in, and it's and it's not necessarily financial advisor near me because you can work. We can work at rem- with anyone, right? Right. So um, I would say so start with those three ways. Definitely have a handful to interview and have questions ready. I actually have a, a blog post on my website, uh, GreenwayWealthAdvisory.com, and it's questions to ask when interviewing a financial advisor and kind of some red flags to look out for. But when I'm when I am interviewing clients, I'll say to them, I need to be someone that you're comfortable with being like the when something major happens in your life, I'm going to be one of your first five phone calls. So you better really like me or and conversely, we better really like that advisor because they are going to be there with you when major life events happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I also noticed on your website that you seem to have a focus on women to help them navigate through some of these challenges. Can you tell us what motivated you to focus on that specific demographic group? Well, obviously, I am a woman. <laughs> I want to win. <laughs> and I'm a minority when it comes to the financial services industry where you know it's there's not many um female advisors or females in the financial services industry. I've been to conferences where I'm the only woman in the room and um, it's intimidating and it, but it's often also not addressed and women um, are in general a little bit more emotional when it comes to money. We, um, everyone, we, you know, a lot of people have been raised that talking about money is taboo. Mm-hmm. So And then women especially feel that way. So then we're not even comfortable talking about money. And so I just felt that women are so underserved when it comes to the financial services industry in general. And I want to make it money a not taboo subject. Money, everyone deals with money every single day, right? Multiple times a day. We all have it. We all want more. We all spend it. So why why can't we talk about it? And and I think it comes down to comfort. So I want to I try to make money very approachable and very easy to talk about, especially with my female clients. That's great that you are trying to do that. I definitely agree with the statements that you made. Going back to what you were saying earlier, you said you've been in the financial advising industry for a long time, even before you started your own thing. So were you in some sort of a corporate environment? Yes. So um, what I, when I graduated college, I graduated with the intention on being a financial advisor. And I started working for a firm. Um, and surprise, surprise, no one's giving their life savings to a 22-year-old blonde-haired girl fresh out of college. I was shocked. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so I had to make a little bit of a pivot. And um, I ended up starting to work for prudential annuities in what's called a um, wholesaler position. So a wholesaler represents the comp- the product company and works and, and markets the product, educates advisors on how to, on how the product works and then how to, in the end, use it for their clients. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a couple of different firms um, for about 13 years. And I traveled, I, I've, you know, visited with 
thousands of advisors throughout the country representing different companies in this wholesaler role and spent thousands of nights in hotel rooms. And I, I, I always had the, you know, the, the nagging, you know, voice in my head going, Shari, like, go back to what your original intention was. And that was to be an advisor. So in 2019, after, uh, after I had my third and fourth kids, I had twins. Um, wow. I, uh, started my own firm. So interesting timing, but I wasn't going to be able to, uh, leave for night nights at a time with four kids. at home. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. I definitely understand that. I have two of my own and it's already a lot. I can imagine how much four would be. You already probably have the experience and qualifications and certifications and all that before you even started, right? It sounds like you worked in very relevant industries. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and I also, so I had all the licenses, I had everything I needed. And then I also had 13 plus years of speaking with advisors and learning what I liked about their firms, what I didn't like, what I would do differently. So I was really able to hit the ground running and have a, a, a vision in mind of what I wanted Greenway Wealth Advisory to be, the clients I wanted to serve and how I wanted to serve them. So it was, my experience was really invaluable for all of those years traveling and speaking with advisors. Makes sense. Did you have to get anything additional in terms of education or just ways of conducting business on your own? No, I mean, it, it really, the, the licenses really, you know, transferred over. Um, mm -hmm. I, I take part in different um, groups, um, mastermind groups with other advisors. Mm -hmm. So it's really the, the additional resources. I, I seek it out myself. Um, as far as best practices go and, and ways to serve clients. So what are some of the biggest challenges setting up your own shop? I would imagine it's a lot different from working for a company. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the same challenges anyone would have when, when starting a business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've definitely have made some um, mistakes as far as spending money where I shouldn't have spent it. Um, the hard part is really transitioning from, you know, waking up every day and having a, a predictable income, right? A predictable day to then I'm now the business owner. I'm now the tech tech uh, specialist. I'm doing my own SEO. I'm managing my own website. I'm doing so many things that have nothing to do with financial advising. I wasn't prepared for that. Um, it's a good way to get my creative ju juices out as far as writing blogs go and all of that stuff. But now I have to also put it on my website myself, optimize the SEO. So when people Google, they can find my work. So that's been, um, that's been pretty interesting and, and unexpected. Do you mind talking about some of the strategies that you use to market your service? So as far as how client, how potential clients yeah, can find yeah, me? Yeah, SEO, your blog. Yeah. I'm assuming you have social media presence as well. Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Managing a Facebook page on my, my ex now it's, I've never imagined that I'd be having to do that in addition to giving clients financial advice, but my main form of marketing is, uh, blogging is, okay. is through SEO. So when I'm, um, sitting down and, and writing a blog, which I was doing, twice a month and now I'm being told I really should be doing it four times a month to make sure I'm giving Google um, 
you know, new, fresh content. And you always need to be updating your site as far as content goes. You can't um, have a site and just kind of say, all right, job's done. I have a website now. It, it needs to be constantly updated. And so when I decide on what, what I'm going to write about, I take it a lot from um, conversations, conversations I have with my friends. If, if money topics come up, um, I'll, I'll write about that. I really want to write about what I think my clients or future clients are Googling. What are they looking up? Mm-hmm. Um, so I recently had a blog series on stay-at-home moms. So how do how can stay-at-home moms um, save for retirement? Because um, I have many friends that were working, had good jobs, and then they had that second, third kid, and they said, you know, I need, I'm going to stay home for a few years, mm-hmm. but they still want to um, save for retirement. They don't want to get put behind, don't want to get behind. Mm-hmm. So um, how much can we quantify a stay-at-home mom's value was another post in that um, blog series. Life insurance, life insurance is a big question of um, how much should I have? So I really try to think like my um, prospective client and what they're looking up and what they want to understand and writing about that. That makes sense. Yeah, because SEO is such a kind of a mystery to me. I've listened to some YouTube videos I've taken some courses but it just seems very hard. It's a lot of work. The algorithms are changed all the time by these large search engines like Google. I totally get it that it's hard. So maybe going back to your business, what have you seen as the number one mistake that especially women tend to make in their finances? I would say the overall number one mistake is not getting involved. And being involved, that's that's different for everyone, right? It's you don't need to know every single thing about where every dollar goes if you don't want to. Be as involved to your capacity, but you need to know where everything is. Um, You know, when women, it's, it's, statistics are there, women outlive men, and we will be making our, there's an 83% chance a, a woman is going to be the sole decision maker in her finances at some point in her life. So you, you need to understand what you have a little bit enough or at least who to call. Um, so th- I would say a big mistake is not getting involved at all. Um, the second mistake I would say is trying not seeking if you if you don't not seeking help. It's a lot to go at it on your own. So you need to have trusted people in your corner to guide you through these big decisions, big decisions and small decisions. You need to have someone you trust. So f- so feeling like, okay, I am going to take an active part in my finances and then feeling like you have to do it by yourself because, well, I don't even know enough to ask questions or I don't even know enough to have these conversations. That's a pretty big mistake. It's just find someone that you trust. If you get that good feeling about them when you have the conversation, they're your trusted resource now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you probably partially answered my next question, which is what are some of the practical, tactical advice that you can provide to people who want to overcome that, who want to be more financially savvy besides seeking help, besides trying to get involved? Are there other tips that you want to share? Yeah. 
listen to podcasts. (laughs) You know, I mean, if it find podcasts that speak your language, right? I so much so often I see read personal finance books and I I read them because I enjoy them and I want to see what other professionals are saying. Mm-hmm. But so, they're so dry. They're so dry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was reading one and I, he was doing a great job up until he started busting out all of these calculations and all, and it was just like, whoa, know your audience. Like this is way too, this might seem simple to you, but to the average person, this is not simple. So listen to podcasts. It's, it's, we can, ingest information at your at your own speed you can hear the person's voice when they're speaking and just find find what podcasts that you like that speak your language you're not but do, do not wait to be an expert before you go and find help right it's never going to happen so just un, get a feel of what you want to have a better understanding of and talk to your friends about it again we don't talk about money because it's taboo, but I can guarantee that if you were to say to a girlfriend, like, hey, do you know anything about this? They'll either say, yeah, I do. I just learned about this or no, I have no idea. And then you both can seek that information together and kind of bounce questions, get more comfortable with with talking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Do you have any recommendation for any podcast? Well, selfishly, I'll plug my own for a second. <laughs> yeah, I was just my, po- yeah. <laughs> my podcast is called um, Money Chic, C H I C, and that's where I, I talk about all types of personal finance um, topics. I really like um, Popcorn Finance. That's a fun podcast. It's um, real quick hits. There's a um, podcast, Optimum Finance Daily, where it, it's so simple. It's brilliant. She just reads articles, personal finance articles to you. And it makes sense because I don't have time to sit down and read articles, but I do have time to listen to an article being read to me. Um, so it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, so those are some that I really enjoy listening to. Cool. Do you listen to Dave Ramsey at all? Some, you know, it's funny. I think Dave Ramsey knew that we were going to speak today because somehow he ended up in my algorithm and it was him interviewing a, or a caller called in that won the lottery, but hadn't told anyone yet oh. for like years. <laughs> and he um, was terrified to tell his family or friends because he was afraid he was going to like go bankrupt as a result. So it was funny. <laughs> um, I guess uh, the algorithm knew that we were going to talk about inheritance today, but um there's some things I do listen to with Dave. I do enjoy his um, debt snowball um, method. I do mm-hmm. think that that makes a lot of sense. Some things not necessarily I'll respectfully disagree with, but I do think that he has some good principles overall. Same here. Yeah, I don't think I agree with the completely no credit card, completely no debt kind of approach. Buying a house in cash, even buying a car in cash. I, I mean, that's like, I mean, it, that's, it's just not, it's, it, if someone were to really take that to heart, that could be pretty um, unmotivating because it's like, well, I'm never going to get there. Yeah, exactly. And I think those debts are good debt, right? Because it provides a way to build wealth, a way to have a home to live in. What are some of the most fulfilling aspects of being a financial advisor? I can see after meetings, my clients' worries kind of just drift away. 
mm-hmm. you know, the first couple meetings were, were a little bit rigid, were a little uncomfortable because we may have never spoken about this stuff before. But then my clients will start to share things with me that they may have never shared with anyone about money personally, you know, or, or just personally in their life. And it's really fun to watch um, the worries go away and the comfort start to build and the happiness come and, you know, the smiles during the meetings are, are true and they're, they're real. Um, one of the best compliments one of my clients gave me was my husband and I now, after working with you, we never argue about money. So we never did a lot to begin with, but it, it would happen, right? It was there. But now that we started working with you, as soon as money would come up and maybe we'd start to get a little, our feathers pop up a little bit, say, just save it for Shari. We'll talk to Shari. We'll ask her and that's it. And she's like, we don't argue anymore. And that's awesome. And how do you structure your service? Do you talk to them on a regular basis? Do you talk to them when needed? So I ended up, Um, after some trial and error and after speaking with different advisors and gathering best practices, I created my own financial planning program. I call it Financial Foundations. And it's 10 items that everyone has questions on. They need buttoned up. They need a plan around in order to build wealth. Mm -hmm. And day one starts as simple as how much money should you have in your checking account and how much money should you have in a bank account, an emergency fund. And the reason why I start there is one, I get that question all the time. How much is too much? How much is not enough? How much should I have in my checking? So let's just talk about it. And I also found that clients would be intimidated by making other financial decisions because that those little questions were unanswered. You can Google it, but you're going to get lots of different answers. Or it's also a feeling. You know, everyone has a number that when they open up the app on their phone, their bank app on their phone, and their checking accounts at a certain number, that number, every you know, there's a certain number that our stomach hurts because it's lower, right, than what it should be. Mm-hmm. Where we have a number that we look at and we feel really good about. And everyone's different and Google can't tell you that. So we talk about that because if, if every day you can open up your bank app and not have your stomach hurt, then finance is going to become a whole lot easier. So my foundations program um, are, is 10 items like that. How much life insurance should I have? How much should I contribute to my 401k? Is my 401k or 403b allocated appropriately? Um, where's my money going? Money in versus money out. So that I generally, we go through those 10 items over a three-month period. So we're meeting at least six times during that three-month period. And then after that, we're reviewing it at least annually to make sure where where should you be? Where do you need to go from here? Okay. And then are these clients mostly fit the profile where they have some sort of unexpected inheritance or something and then they reach out to you or they are more proactively planning for their finances in the future? They're a little bit of both. Um, It's funny, a lot of times, sometimes it's come up that while my clients are in the program, they end up inheriting money, not necessarily expectedly Mm -hmm. um, with a parent passing away or what have you. Um, But most of the clients that reach out to me and enter my financial foundations program, they're like, okay, I'm an adult and I have kids or I'm trying to build my wealth and I don't even know where to start. 
Mm, I see. A couple more questions for you before we close out. What are some of the book recommendations that you have? It doesn't have to be personal finance because I know they can be dry, but what are some of the helpful books that you've found in your spare time? So I'm trying to like picture my bookcase right now and I can see all of my titles, but I'm trying to think of what they are. So there's um, a book, it's, um, I believe it's called a Millennial Roadmap to a Rich Life. That was the one, the book I was talking about um, that the first half of it was was strong and then the formula started coming so i would say the first half of that book okay is, is, is good is is helpful um because he goes through um budgeting and all of that and um money in versus money out explaining net worth your own personal balance sheet so i liked i liked the conversation there i will teach you to be rich that's another good one um so the, those are those are the couple that come come to mind that are pretty easy to read and provide some good information, not too overwhelming. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I've read at least I heard about. I'll teach you how to be rich. Yeah, he has some really interesting content out there as well. Um, he besides does. the book. Yes, yeah, so I haven't read the first one, but I'll, I'll check it out. Sounds interesting. All right. So the last question: Where can people find more about you? Yeah. So, um, like I mentioned, my, my podcast is called money chic, but going to my website, greenwaywealthadvisory.com, mm -hmm. that's where you can learn about me, learn about my firm, what I believe in, how I work with my clients. So okay. greenwaywealthadvisory.com. Okay, great. Do you have social media? You mentioned a Facebook group. Yes. Is so I have a Facebook page, uh, greenway wealth advisory. And my Instagram is Millennial Money Advisor, the Millennial Money Advisor. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll link all of these in the show notes. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Shari. It's, uh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. Course.